1: Kicking off this hour of Sportsnet today, Logan Gordon along with you, Cam and Taylor, outstanding production duo in the other room, the Tuesday, which means time for our regular Tuesday chat with our pal Bick Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, all things Canucks, NFL, pretty much whatever we want to chat with Bick about. Uh, We do so on a Tuesday. Bick, how are you, pal? I'm good. I think
0: we're going to touch on EPL this week, too, or something like that.
1: Yeah, probably. Who knows? We'll (laughs) uh, we'll do some e-gaming, and I'll get your thoughts on unidentified flying objects around the uh, North American skies. So uh, it's going to be a really good addition. But, uh, look, let's start with uh, the big event uh, on Sunday, the Super Bowl. Uh, Chiefs come down with a victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, How much did you enjoy watching that game on Sunday?
0: That was a blast. Uh, it really was. I, I'm usually not someone that wants like all offense. I want some levels of defense in there. And, and there was enough in this game. And I, I thought they made them earn all of their points. Uh, I, I, that game was just phenomenal. Uh, the one I had a bit of a complaint, like the field really sucked. And that's kind of yeah. the pass rush for those teams. And that would have been nice to see the quarterbacks under a little bit more pressure, but really entertaining game. And obviously, uh, Patrick Mahomes just playing at the highest quality possible. Jalen Hurts was also phenomenal, but Mahomes had that little bit of an extra, especially at cup crunch time. And you know, we talked about it last week. Like that was the thing I was worried about. Like if the Eagles were ever down in a tense situation, how would they respond? And fourth quarter, they didn't really.
1: Are you uh, a believer? I guess it depends on everyone's definition. I've asked a couple people this, but where are you on the the Chiefs dynasty take now that they've won a second Super Bowl? Uh,
0: it's too separated. Right, like the first one was yep. a couple of few years ago. Uh, if they get one in the next two years, then okay, here we are in the new Chiefs era. Like, look, we, we all understand they're the kings of the uh, of the NFL. Not just because they won, but they are. Look, they have Mahomes, they have Andy Reid. They're on the top of the the, the food chain in general right now. Uh, I want to see a third one. I, I'm I'm a big proponent of third one equals dynasty, and especially if it's within six years, uh, the third one to me is the is the solidifier when it comes to dynasties. I,
1: I know Travis Kelsey was big on the, hey, no one picked us, no one believed in us this year, no one said Kansas City was going to win. I didn't <laughs> I didn't follow that narrative quite as much as he did, but you know, I was as most impressed with Patrick Mahomes in the sense, big that. For me, them getting rid of Tyreek Hill and what he was Mm -hmm. able to do with the cast of characters that he had at wide receiver started to show me that Patrick Mahomes was turning guys into a star maker. He didn't need to have uh, a Tyreek Hill necessarily wide receiver one. I'm sure it helps. I'm sure it's great. But when you're at the level that Patrick Mahomes is at, you make the players around you better. Do you feel the same way about a guy like Mahomes?
0: Yeah, 100%. And it helps when you have someone... Designing the car for him, like Andy Reid, one hundred percent. And it, it I, like I know, they started the transition to being more this style of offense even when Tyreek was still there in the back half of that season. And you remember, uh, this, two seasons ago, now, um the start of the season they really struggled and they kind of recalibrated midway, and it started to pick up later on as the season went on. But like this is still a redeveloping season, and they go ahead and win the Super Bowl because you need proof of concept that it's going to work even without the threat of someone like Tyree Hill, And so you can make the change and say, Hey, we're going to be more pragmatic in our offensive approach. And we're going to emphasize the middle of the field and bring, like have ideas of like a Juju Smith-Schuster in the future and get more functional depth players rather than a, a star maker on the outside. But I still want to see what it looks like without the threat of a guy being able to burn past people. And now they've, done it for the whole year and obviously they were the most efficient offense this year and Patrick Mahomes has taken yet another step and, and that's the thing that he's winning from inside the pocket and he maintains his mobility even with one ankle to to win in different ways and, and now they've shown that they can do it without just the traditional hey we're going to run past you and I'm going to heave at 60 yards and you're not going to be able to keep up they've done it this way and now what's the next wrinkle for NFL defenses to solve it and what's going to be their counter to how the Chiefs are playing right
1: now. Where did you come down in the moment on the penalty to James Bradbury? I know he's talked about it post game and he owned up to it. And that's uh, a really hard thing to do uh, for any professional athlete to sit there and, and, you know, take the heat like he did. But what did you think about the call when you saw it in the moment?
0: Yeah. Big credit for James Bradbury for owning up to it. And also – Look, I think a lot of courage by that ref to actually even throw the flag in that spot because I think a lot of people were having this debate of should they throw the flag? And I do think the ref kind of deserves some credit. I happen to be watching, just as that play was developing pre-snap, I happen to be watching Juju just because that's where my eye went. I thought it's kind of going in this direction. So I kind of saw the whole play develop in real time, and I thought it was a hold. Like His right arm is definitely preventing Juju from pivoting from the inside slant to whip outside. And it looked like a hold to me until so I was stunned that there was a reaction afterwards of, oh, I can't believe this this was decided. It was very obviously a hold to me. Now I can understand the argument of, hey, what was the standard throughout the course of the game? And I'm usually pro. I want consistent, consistent officiating through the course of the game. I don't care if it's bad, but just be consistent. I haven't had the chance to go through all the snaps in that game to say, okay, here's a hold that could have been called. Here's a hold that could have been called. But to me, his right hand's on the body. He then chases him after and gets the second hand wrapped around. At one point, you look, it almost looks like he's trying to hug him at the hips, and Juju can't accelerate and get upfield. And the, the other key point here, I know people are saying, well, that ball is uncatchable anyways. Well, first of all, it's uncatchable because Patrick Mahomes is putting it to a spot Juju's supposed to get to, and he can't accelerate out of his break. He's not going to be able to get there. It's going to look a lot worse than it is. And second of all, it's defensive holding. It's not pass interference. The idea of it being uncatchable is irrelevant because defensive holding is supposed to occur prior to the pass. So that's the call. It's not pass interference. That's a penalty. Ref, I got to give him credit. Like, it takes some guts to throw that flag in that moment. Uh, And as much as people may not like the ending in a way that – gets decided and the rest did his job too they're on the field to do a job and in that moment when when they had the courage to throw the flag we have to, we also have to praise him that spot too
1: on the other side uh, I don't know if we we talked about it as we were getting ready for the Super Bowl or not but were you one of the guys heading into this game Bick that thought Jalen Hurts had something to prove in this Super Bowl that he needed to go out and have a good performance to really solidify himself among the best young quarterbacks in the league? Where were you on that conversation?
0: No, I think he's proven that he's going to come back to Philly next year. And for me, it was still, okay, there's still an evaluation process to still go through here, and is he really the guy? But I don't think he needed to prove anything to say that I'm coming back and and Philly shouldn't explore training for a QB. They obviously flirted with the Sean Watson last offseason and a couple mm-hmm. other QBs with the potential of replacing him. But he's proven that, like, hey, I, I'm the guy, at least for another year or two. That performance, though, was one that you look at and say, hey, you guys got to lock this guy up now. Um, the, the throw on third and 14 <laughs> was phenomenal. That was inch perfect to get it over the DB. And he, he played really, really strong. Um, I I walked away being super impressed by Jalen hurts that if he gets another opportunity and it's tough because he's had so many coordinator changes uh, so many scheme changes going back to high school uh, and now Shane Steichen leaves to take the Indianapolis job yesterday and you just wonder how that's going to change obviously Sirianni stays over but if there's just enough changes he's got to learn everything does that stifle him a little bit but if I'm Jalen hurts hey you've proven a lot I didn't think you need to take a, a step but he certainly did on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I thought he was incredible on Sunday. I was curious how he would respond in such a big moment because to me, that was the biggest advantage that Casey had going into the game was so many of their guys mm-hmm. were been there, done that. And you never really know. You think, you know, and you can talk about, oh, well, he did great in the NFC championship game or, you know, this big moment in the regular season. Nothing compares to what it was on Sunday. You just never know when that spotlight is on a guy, what he's going to do. And Hey, the Chiefs dared them to go out and start off the you know the game with a touchdown drive, and they went ahead and did it. I thought if I was a Philadelphia Eagles fan, you're obviously disappointed anytime you walk away out of the Super Bowl without winning. But I thought that was a really good sign for a guy that not all that long ago, like you mentioned, Bick, they weren't all that sold on.
0: And and yeah, and look, he he had his struggles in that game too. Like he literally dropped the ball for a yep fumble return touchdown. And I think, you know, when we were talking about the penalty, I think the key moment of this game, and this is where like the edge of Mahomes, versus his heart kind of shows out. The key moment of that game was when the Eagles got the ball back 27, 28, They were down one 12 minutes to go in that game. That's the drive that you have to win. You at least have to get first downs and they go three and out. They punted away 65 yard punt return the other direction by Kadarius Tony. That was the game right there. The game was done and dusted there. And it was always going to be a challenge for Philly to get back into it after that. I know they go tie it, but they give KC the ball with minutes to go, and they were always going to march down the field. Uh, but that to me the pivotal moment. There were there were two key moments where Jalen Hurts he didn't live up to it. The fumble being one, and obviously the the three and out. But they uh, he he put up a really good fight, and it was more impressive than I expected from from Jalen Hurts.
1: How do you feel about this Eagles team going forward? I know it's, it's always such a tough question because the off season can bring so much change, but they hold a, a top 10 pick. They hold their own pick at, at number 30 heading into this year's draft. So they'll have an opportunity to bring in some high end cheap talent. When you look at the the next couple of years for the Philadelphia Eagles, big, how do you feel about that group?
0: Well, they've got a very progressive front office, always forward thinking, always looking to do the next thing. Um, I think they'll have some staying power here. It's going to be incumbent upon Dallas and the Giants and the Commanders to try and take a step to knock them off the perch. But they've got so much capital, as you mentioned, to reinvest and continue uh, a very prosperous uh, stretch here for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I'm curious maybe if there's some regression on the defensive side because I don't know how much you know defense tends to be a bit more volatile than offense. So that will be interesting to see if they can – maintained certain uh, trench supremacy that they had where their front four was so dominant. I know they drafted Jordan Davis last year. He maybe takes a step next year, Uh, but it's the NFL, right? Like it's, it's not for long. It's, it's great right now, but we'll see how long this is sustained. But they have the type of front office that uh, seems to be able to pull off uh, minor miracles.
1: Uh, big picture, uh, heading into the NFL offseason, give me a, a couple areas that you're really interested in seeing how they play out over the next couple weeks. Obviously the big news today, Raiders can't find a trade partner for Derek Carr. He is released after nine seasons. We've seen a couple of head coaching spots get uh, you know, taken up now by Eagles defensive and offensive coordinators. Uh, what's Nazar looking forward to in this NFL offseason?
0: Yeah, the QB market's uh, always intriguing, but in particular this year because it feels like we've gone through enough years as a cycle of teams having a QB plan, and now teams have to reinvent a plan and try to see, okay, what is like, where are we actually going? The previous ideas have exhausted, and some of them work out, and some of them don't. I think there's some key decisions, like what do the Giants do with Daniel Jones? What does the Lions do with Jared Goff? Uh, On and on. Honestly, like what do the Bears do with Justin Fields? I know that's a phenomenal prospect but they happen to have the first overall pick that's a fair conversation they might land on justin fields being the guy but it's a conversation at least sure uh that whole market is certainly interesting and and just in general look well, the combine's going to be here before we know it and then it's draft season and uh I, i'm interested to see you know what teams as as every year like what team's took a step and where do they feel like they're at? Seattle in particular, obviously they have a a top five pick and then the 20th pick. Are they still in a building mode or are they in a, Hey, let's push it forward mode. Are someone like Cleveland Hey, you get Deshaun back. Now he's playing. Where are you at? You don't have a first round pick, obviously, but what do you try to do to try to push this even further? Miami, they're missing picks. They take a a step, go to the playoffs. Are they going to regress? or Are they going to continue to try to build upon? They invested in Tyreek Hill. Like that has a an expiration date with it because of you know he's, he's at a certain age and does that speed slow up at all? Uh, those types of teams I'm really interested in this offseason.
1: We're chatting with our Tuesday regular Bick Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. chat a little bit of everything. We're starting off, of course, with some reaction to the Super Bowl back on Sunday. I uh, have to ask you, uh, Bick. Uh, Canucks fall six one to the Red Wings uh, last night, and it seemed to have struck a pretty negative chord. Uh, With head coach Rick Tockett, you talked about, hey, going back to grade school uh, when it comes to defending, starting and stopping. uh, Practice has come and gone. What did – give us an insight as to what that looked like uh, from the head coach after he had some pretty strong words following that loss.
0: Yeah, the practice today, like it was uh, as – uh, basic as you can get. Like there was literally a pass and a whistle and reevaluate where you're at and pass it again. A whistle, stop, everyone stop and reevaluate where you're at. Look, we just said it on the post game show even before Rick Talkett talked last night. There's four key tenets he's kind of detailed: puck management, being a wall guy, being strong along the walls, valuing you know little plays across the ice and protect the middle and and line changes and he hit all four, five of those in the post game press conference. And when players aren't living up to the standard that is being set by this new coaching staff, you're going to get days like today. I'm here for the conversation that maybe this is a little too far. And these are professional hockey players, but it's also fair for the coaching staff to say, well, you're not doing the things we're asking you. We're going to have to treat you like this until you start doing it. So you show us regularity regularly that you can do this during a game. And this is going to take some time. This is, I was joking last night on the, the show. This isn't a matrix where you can just like sit down, load in how to play seal plays along the wall and like, hey, I know <laughs> kung fu, right? It's not that. It's going yeah. to take time. It's going to take muscle memory. But the way it's going right now, it's volatile. And Rick Taka is taking the tone of, like, hey, let's, let's work on this in one particular practice and show us you can do this. Obviously, come off season, these players are going to have to put in a lot of work and focus on that detail, and training camp is going to be the first real chance to implement all of that. But right now, he's taking a very strict approach to this because this is what the connection had done last year in that 57-game sample. They don't, though, and they bring it back with Bruce Boudreau and it doesn't work. When you When you get to a stage where you're just trying to get through a season – You have to go through the pain threshold of this is the way we're playing. Whoever holds on to and crosses the threshold that you can play on this team. Great. If you don't, we're going to solve the problem in the offseason. There's a bunch of guys that are not living up to a standard. Oliver Ekman Larson, chief among them after last night's performance, they have to come to a conclusion and say, what are we doing? You don't belong here anymore. And they have to make that determination on a bunch of different players and find out who's actually going to survive these next uh, 20 some odd games.
1: Uh, and I saw our pal Brendan Batchelor, the play-by-play voice of the Canucks, tweeting this out a little earlier, too. It was uh, uh, a day where Quinn Hughes got into it a bit with uh, a teammate, Dakota Joshua. Connor Garland was in there as well. I think it's always interesting to see when times are tough, like it is right now for the Vancouver Canucks pick, who sort of stands out and who wants to, you know, who's visibly upset about how things are going. And it kind of feels like Quinn Hughes over the last couple of weeks is turning into that guy for the Canucks who's not afraid to, to show it a little bit more. And I'm not saying that if you don't show it, you don't care. But for Quinn, it kind of feels like he's like, okay, I'm done just being the quiet guy. He didn't like how things were handled with a teammate's injury, so he went out and said something. He doesn't like how they're playing right now, and he's frustrated in practice, and he's going to show it. Do you feel the same way about that and sort of how that's coming out a bit more from Quinn Hughes? Yeah, there's good and bad
0: to it because um, doing it today, I would say it's kind of a a day late and a dollar short, right? Yep. You, you could have pushed back yesterday yep. when you were getting smoked six-one. That's part of the conversation too. Uh But look, over the last fourteen months, and you ask some of the players, they'll say this too: like he is his voice has risen a lot in the organization and his confidence has grown to be able to share that voice in the locker room. So it's no surprise that the two people that have emerged as far as the next leadership conversation is. Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. This is what this organization needs. They're only going to go as far as those two. And as far as a vocal person, Quinn Hughes has very much kind of been part of that mantle. And as far as doing it on the ice, Elias Pettersson has uh, been doing that. Uh, now last night, it's not a great example of it, but those two guys have absolutely started to, emerge and it's going to take a little bit more time. They're going through you know, like there's, there's growing pains with them discovering how much power they might have in this new locker room. And you know, we've talked about it before that opportunity started a couple of seasons ago when Tannen and Markstrom left and now Horvath goes and there's a, a void that they have to fill. This is no longer, Hey, we want you to be leaders. They have to do it. And if they don't rise to it, that's, that's the thing that's going to determine where the Vancouver Canucks are for the next three to five years.
1: Uh, last one for you. Any more clarity on any trade targets for the Vancouver Canucks in the next couple of weeks? In the sense of, have you got a clearer idea that a Brock Besser trade may or may not happen? I know Luke Shen's name's been one that's been out there for a while. Is it any more clear on that situation or is it kind of status quo?
0: It's uh, money is all heck. Um, look, they want to move money. There's. No shortage of desire from the Vancouver Canucks camp to move a uh, Tyler Myers. And I know that name's been bandied around uh, for the last 10 days. Uh, Brock Besser is obviously very involved in trade discussions, including his agent uh, trying to navigate some of that. There's no shortage of desire. I'm still very skeptical of an actual conclusion coming up before March 3rd of a contract with term on it. Uh, I, I just think there's too many other spots where people can find comparable players at cheaper prices and with less risk. And if something materializes, it's going to be a, the traditional hockey move, where it's money in, money out, and here's a winger, and we solve a problem with the depth demon or something like that. If that if that happens, okay, like I'll, I'll stand corrected. But I don't think there's going to be a situation where the Canucks are able to move – Swaths of money off the books. Patrick Alveen talking yesterday with Ian McIntyre at sportsnav.ca, you know, on the idea of retaining money on Brock. And he was very clear it's like, hey, if we're retaining money, we expect more after that as well. So, as our team's willing to give up another asset on top of that. And it's a fair ask from Alvin's point of view. So, I'm skeptical on Brock. Uh, we'll see on someone like Luke Shan. I think that will have. Uh, potential landing spot. And, you know, obviously Calgary uh, been rumored to be in the mix. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the Luke Shen thing happens in the next, uh, you know, handful of days here. But they could run it down to March 3rd as well. Luke Shen has declared how much he enjoys being here in Vancouver. So uh, we're kind of just on any day now when, when it comes to a Luke Shen transaction.
1: Vic, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks again. We'll uh, chat with you again next week, eh? Hey? Cheers, pal. Take care, Big Nazar Sportsnet six fifty. Our Tuesday regular joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. You can find him on Twitter, of course, at Big Nazar. He is the host of Canucks post game with Satyar Shaw, and uh, of course, part of the People Show with uh, with Dom on Sportsnet six fifty in Vancouver. We'll take a break. Come back on the other side. chat a little bit of Blue Jays baseball pitchers and catchers reporting to Dunedin. A couple of other Blue Jay stars making their way down to Florida. And before you know it, spring training baseball will be underway. Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet.ca and the At The Litter's podcast joins us next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.
0: You're listening to Sportsnet today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960,
1: The Fan. Welcome back to the program. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you, Cam.
2: And back to you, my friend. Back to you.
1: And Taylor. Although Taylor is probably not going to be happy if I said that. Happy Valentine's Day, Taylor. Happy Valentine's Day, Logan. Kevin Taylor, outstanding production team here on Sportsnet today. Keeping this station on the air. Podcasts on the web. and uh, Tweets sent out. Yeah. Stories posted. Occasionally, um, uh, fighting with engineering on sounds that occasionally wrangling with engineers <laughs> come on air. Uh, Blue Jays beginning to descend on Dunedin, Florida for spring training. We can count down the days to opening day before you know it. Spring training baseball will be on your TVs on the Sportsnet Television Network. We'll have some games here on your radio as well, so we thought it was a perfect time to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Check in with our pal Arden Swelling from Sportsnet.ca and the At the Letters podcast. To get you uh, all set for spring training in the Toronto with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Arden, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you?
0: Hey, good. How are you guys?
1: We're doing awesome, man. Are you uh, in Dunedin right now? No, uh, I'll be down later this month, but
2: uh, we got the rest of the Sportsnet crew uh, uh, down there right now, Hazel and Shai, doing a great job.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, speaking of that, uh, you'll be uh, taking on an expanded role with that crew. Uh, I wanted to send a congratulations out to you. You're going to be uh on-the-field on reporter this year alongside uh, the great Hazel May. Uh, how excited are you for taking on that role?
2: Oh well, thank you, first of all, and uh, yeah, it's thrilling. I uh, I cannot wait to get started. You mentioned counting down the days uh, to the first broadcast. (laughs) I am quite literally counting down the days and the hours and the minutes and the seconds because I'm uh, I'm so eager to get going. It's such an unbelievably talented team that does the, the broadcasts. Like mm-hmm. obviously, you know, uh, both on television and, and radio, my role is going to be with, with television and uh, just getting to work with them is going to be outstanding because the standard, is just so high. So it, it's going to be an amazing environment. It's going to be awesome to get to be a part of that crew and hoping it's a, a tremendous season.
1: I was not going to play with some of the stuff you do at, at .ca and maybe on the, uh, the podcast? Cause you guys do a good job really, I like the storytelling that you guys do, especially on the podcast with different aspects of it. I imagine this in your mind will probably open up some different avenues in a way to to tell it from a different perspective. Hey,
2: yeah, definitely. I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think it's only going to raise the level, hopefully, of the podcast. What I do with CA because I'll just be that much more embedded with with the team. Uh, I'll be on the road a lot more, and I'll be around the players a lot more, talking to them a lot more frequently, and uh, just being that close to uh, the dugout and the field of play in the broadcast position, I think can only help me tell better stories. And that's really the goal, no matter what the medium is, right? Whether it's writing, whether it's here on the radio or on the podcast or on the the television broadcast, it's just to tell interesting stories and to show fans a different side of players and bring them closer to the team and and to the game. So I'm going to try to keep just telling those stories as well as I can, no matter what the shape uh, of the microphone implement is (laughs) in front of me.
1: Nice, literally looking forward to that, Arden. Um, wanted to talk to you about a couple of things uh, as spring training is, you know, starting to get underway. You guys are starting to make their way to Dunedin and get into the uh, the spring training rhythm. I guess first and foremost, the biggest story for Jays fans as we were getting closer to uh, players reporting to Florida was the Bo Bichette situation. They avoid arbitration. They get a three year deal done that will uh, essentially walk him to free agency in a couple of years time. What was your reaction? Uh, to hearing that deal with uh, the Jays and Bichette getting done?
2: I think it's a good outcome for for both sides. The arbitration process is there for a reason. It's there to sort of push the two sides towards a deal like this because, honestly, no one wants to go to a hearing. You understand that it's part of the process and that it's something – it might happen if you're unable to agree, but neither players nor executives nor agents really want to go to a hearing. I would get to talk to anybody in the game who really loves the process and who really thinks that a hearing is, is a positive thing for anyone, but it is an effective process when you look at how often it, it gets sides to create deals, like the one that Bobichet signed with the Blue Jays. So I think everybody's happy with the outcome. Obviously, there's shared risk. On both sides, and obviously Bobishek gives up a bit of the upside that he would have uh, been able to tap into if he had gone year to year and continues to have four, five, six win seasons that is healthy and productive. But in return for that, he gets the certainty of thirty three and a half million dollars, which is obviously a great thing for him and then for the Blue Jays. Uh, yes, they're going to have to pay Beau Bichette that money regardless of how he performs. Uh, if he falls off a cliff performance-wise, which is obviously unlikely, but if he had, they they would have paid him less if they went year to year. And if he suffers a devastating injury, they're still going to have to pay him. And that could have in, impacted things going forward if he had gone through arbitration. But the the return that they get is, uh, you know, some cost certainty over, as Roth Atkins put it, an MVP caliber player. So that's how these deals come together when both teams are, excuse me, both sides are sharing risk and uh, maybe giving up something in order to get something. So I think it's a really good deal.
1: When you look at uh, this team on paper with all the changes that they've made in the off season and you look at Bo Bichette, how high on the list of importance is, is Boba Bichette having a good year for this group?
2: That's what's really interesting about this team is you could say that about so many players yeah. on it, right? Could you say the same thing about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And say the same thing about George Springer and the same thing about Kevin Gossman and the same thing about Dalton Varsho and Matt Chapman. <laughs> I mean, the Blue Jays have built just such a deep team and, and such an interesting collection of players who like have really interesting upside, really high upside that they can tap into. So I think that if Bo Bichette has a first five months like he did last season where he was merely a league average hitter, the Blue Jays can survive that and get through because they aren't dependent just on him. Look at last season. The Blue Jays were a playoff team and they went into September looking like a playoff team and in playoff position with Bo Bichette just being a league-average hitter. And then obviously in September and early October, I mean, he set the world on fire and had like a 2- 1,200 OPS and really just changed the uh, the the story of his season in about 30 days' time. Uh, but the, the depth of this roster and the amount of talent on it means that the Blue Jays aren't as reliant on just any one individual uh, tapping into that really high upside outcome.
1: I know it's a very broad question because, like, as you said, there's so many important pieces to this team, but as yeah. you sort of take a, a view at spring training, what are you most focused on? Are there certain storylines, certain aspects of this team that really intrigue you as we head into Florida and head into everybody getting involved in spring training?
2: Uh, I think in every spring training, it's stay healthy
0: (laughs) and avoid
2: injured lists. 100%. Don't get hurt. Uh, (laughs) There's still six months, or excuse me, six weeks. Thank God, not six months. Six (laughs) weeks until opening day. (laughs) Uh, So that's a lot of time. There's a lot of games in there, and there's a little baseball classic in there as well, which players like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Alejandro Kirk will be competing at. So uh, certainly avoiding injury and staying healthy and trying to enter the season in as good of a place physically as possible is of uh, utmost importance. And, and I'm also curious to see how the players respond to some of the new rules that are being implemented. You think about the pitch clock, uh, the the limit on, they're calling them disengagements from the mound for pitchers. Essentially it's just stepping off or pickoff attempts. you allowed only two of those per plate appearance, so that's going to make things very interesting, the the bases being bigger, so there being less distance between the bases, uh, making it a bit easier to steal bases. Uh, some of those factors are going to be interesting to watch play out because you've got a lot of veteran big leaguers who haven't had to deal with these variables before. For minor leaguers, they've been dealing with it for a couple of years, but if you're a uh, Matt Chapman or a uh, Alejandro Kirk-Bobishet, George Springer, Whit Merrifield, Kevin Kiermeyer. You haven't had to encounter any of these elements before. So it's going to be really interesting just to see them make those adaptations.
1: How intrigued are you by uh, the first spring training for John Schneider behind uh, the bench? It'll be interesting.
2: I mean, he obviously had such a hand in the way things were run the last couple of years as as bench coach. Uh, obviously, it was Charlie Montoya's team, but I mean, John Schneider was heavily involved in game planning and in strategy and uh, in formulating training plans for the day throughout spring training that I think it won't be overly different. But I do think that you're seeing John Schneider setting a, a real tone early in camp that he wants this to be a team that really focuses on attention to detail and really thinks about what it's doing when it comes to preparing for games when it comes to spending training time um, away from the field when it comes to conditioning and strength and nutrition all those things like i do think that john schneider really wants a professional uh measured approach from his players and and has really come out and said publicly like these are the things that we're going to have to nail we have a ton of talent on this team we have a ton of ability we just won 90 games in back-to-back seasons the thing that's going to take us to the next level is the little things we've got the uh, you know the majors taken care of now? It's the minors. Now it's little one percent on the edges that we can uh, that we can really nail to push ourselves forward. So that's one thing that that I've noticed from his tone here in the uh, the early days of camp. <laughs>
1: It's interesting to take a look at this team, and I I wonder if you feel the same way. I look at this group, Arden, and I wonder, you know, in comparison to other spring trainings for this group, I I don't see a lot of battles, if you will, you know what I mean, at positions or in the rotation, that sort of thing. I I think this team is, for the most part, pretty set with how they're going to roll things out. Now, obviously, John Schneider is going to have different options when it comes to especially, you know, usages in the outfield and getting different guys in. Uh, for different at-bats and and situational things like that. But it's kind of unique, in in my mind at least, looking at this team and saying, I don't see a lot of battles. It's kind of going back to your your last answer and talking about those little things that they're going to have to work on for the next couple weeks.
2: Yeah, it speaks to the depth of talent that the Blue Jays have built out going into this this season. It's a very good team on paper. And look, that can change very quickly with a couple of injuries or uh, some sort of unexpected underperformance, but as things stand right now, you are looking at essentially one bench spot up for grabs and guys like Nathan Lucas and Otto Lopez competing there, maybe Addison Barger, who's who's an exciting young prospect who had a great season last year in the minors can force his way into that conversation. And then you're trying to sort out who your fifth starter is going to be to begin the season, whether it's going to be Yusei Kikuchi or Mitch White with the other uh, individual probably going into a length role in the bullpen, but even that's a bit of a misnomer is a true competition because that would be the fifth starter just to begin the season. Mm -hmm. And you might need a sixth starter like by a week into the season. We've seen this time and again, no team goes through even the first month of the regular season with only five starters, you're constantly going deeper into your depth chart, looking for spot starters, skipping spots in the rotation, Uh, all kinds of things can happen. So really whoever opens that first week is the quote unquote de facto fifth starter. I mean, the guy who's number six is likely to make a start before long anyway. So yeah, there, there aren't a ton of battles and a ton of competitions. The young player on this, uh, in this organization, you're not going to win a job in spring training probably unless there are some injuries and some players that start the year on the IL and then things could get interesting. But obviously the Blue Jays are hoping that will happen.
1: How much are you looking forward to seeing a guy like Dalton Varishow? It was a big price to pay for the Blue Jays to bring him in. And I don't know that you know a lot of people that watch the Blue Jays on a regular basis had an eye on Arizona and maybe, you know, had the best scouting report on a guy like Varishow. When you look at him and, and what he's going to bring to this blue Jays team, Arden, how, uh, how intrigued are you to see what he brings to the table?
2: Very, very interested. Even just thinking about his career trajectory coming up as a catcher in the minor leagues, making the transition to outfield in 2022, having like his first full season at the big league level, mm-hmm. really, and showing outstanding defense uh, as an outfielder and uh, an offensive approach that, you know, it, it's it's productive, it's above average, but it's not without flaws. There is a lot of swing and miss and there are a lot of strikeouts in his game but there's also a ton of power um so is he able to juice his on base percentage a little bit reach base a bit more often can he cut down on the strikeouts a little bit does he trade a bit of power for contact uh does he bring in the bunt single a bit like he did in 2022 it's funny he bunted just about as much as anybody did in uh in 22 which is not something you see a lot for a guy with like 25 to 30 home run power but he was liable to drag a bunt to the right side and run it out for a single because he's got great athleticism he can get up the the line very quickly so i'm just very interested to see how his approach evolves offensively and if he can continue to build and, and get better as a big league hitter then obviously defensively uh, you just want to see him running around in the outfield next to Kevin Kiermeyer because if those two guys are playing to their potential – uh, they're going to take some bits away, and they're going to make some spectacular plays in, in that reconfigured outfield at, at Rogers Center, so that's going to be fun to see as well.
1: Yeah, and that's actually right where I wanted to go next with you because you guys kicked off at the letters, you know, discussing the new dimensions at Rogers Center, what it might mean for the Blue Jays. I, I'd love for people to go and listen to the full conversation you had with Ben Nicholson-Smith, but just give us a, a little bit on that and how that might play into the Blue Jays' season because it is a pretty significant change that's happening. We won't see it until... Obviously, the regular season starts and the Jays get a feel for some home games, which comes a little bit later on after opening day, Arden. But it is a significant change out there at Rogers Centre.
2: Yeah, the dimensions are going to be really interesting to see just play live because the Blue Jays can do all the modeling they want, all the predictions they want. We can run all the simulations we want, but you just don't know until the ball is in play and coming off of bats and and rattling around in the outfield. So it's going to be very fascinating uh, just for, for people who don't know, you know, everyone remembers the, the Rogers Centre outfield, which is just this perfectly like symmetrical uh, situation and, and layout. It's not going to be the case anymore. It's not going to be symmetrical anymore. You're going to have different angles and different wall heights. You're going to have certain things jutting out around the, the bullpens that are going to be elevated now and and some of the seats that are going to be brought closer the field level, there's going to be no more sort of dead zone between the wall and the first row of seats where home run balls sometimes would just kind of land into the surface level abyss. Uh, Every home run ball now is either going to go into the bullpen or into a row of seats. Uh, In order to accommodate for that, the the outfield dimensions are changing. And in certain cases, they're going to be moving closer. uh, In the power alleys, particularly in right-center field, you're coming into, I believe, it's 359 feet and last year it was something like 375. So that's going to be a difference. And the wall height is going to go up in order to compensate for that. But uh, there's going to be some players in this Blue Jays lineup who are able to exploit that and who are able to hit some pretty towering lofty home runs over that right center field wall. I think about Brandon Bell, a guy who played at Oracle Park in San Francisco uh, for his entire career as a left-handed hitter. I mean, that's his approach. Fly balls to, uh, to right field and to right center. And at Oracle Park, I mean, that is a terrible place to hit a fly ball. You <laughs> might get a triple, but you, you might also just hit a fly ball out because yeah. it is really far and really deep out there. Uh, but at Rogers Center, I think Brandon Belt is going to just lob some home runs into the, uh, you know, if he's feeling like himself and he's healthy and he's over the knee surgery. Mm-hmm. He's going to hit a bunch of balls over that right center field wall. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as well, a guy with a great opposite field power approach. He, his, his, you know, he's not so much kind of the arcing, towering lob fly ball guy. He's more of like the missile, like the line drive guy. Yeah, he might just sort of pepper that wall and hit a whole bunch of doubles off of it.
1: Uh, Arden, thanks so much for the time today, man. Always appreciate uh, you coming on to chat with us here in Calgary. Uh, We'll look for you, of course, at .ca and at the uh, Letters Podcast. But again, congratulations on your new spot with the TV broadcast team and can't wait to uh, talk to you with some more baseball down the road, hey?
2: Awesome to be on. I appreciate the kind words. Looking forward to doing it again.
1: Thanks, Arden. Take care today, pal. See ya. Arden Zwelling joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar. Guest hotline, training all things Toronto Blue Jays. As I mentioned, you can find him uh, with his articles up at sportsnet.ca. The At the Litters podcast with Ben Nicholson Smith, and he is part of the Blue Jays television broadcast this year. He'll be doing some on, for, uh, on field reporting for Sportsnet uh, alongside the wonderful and talented Hazel May. And before you know it, baseball season will be here. Pitchers and catchers reporting to Dunedin, Florida. George Springer, among some of the big names that have already joined the Blue Jays uh, in Dunedin. We'll have plenty of coverage of the Toronto Blue Jays, as we always do, uh, right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Just a couple minutes left in the uh, program this afternoon. Hockey PDOcast coming up next with Dmitry Filipovich, and then Pat's got talk this afternoon. You don't want to miss either of those programs, but before we get there, CFL Free Agency has opened up today across the league. And plenty of transactions uh, across the CFL, including the Calgary Stampeders, who lose uh, a couple of key members to their team. We knew this was coming uh, based on the CFL's negotiation window that's been open for a week already. But, you know, the likes of uh, Jameer Thurman saying goodbye today and officially signing with Hamilton. Uh, Falarino Malade defensive lineman, now the highest paid defensive lineman in the league, uh, as he heads to the Toronto Argonauts, the Stampeders. Do fill one of those holes on defense today uh, while Jameer Thurman heads to Hamilton. The Stampeders go ahead and uh, snag a now former member of the Ticats signing defensive lineman Julian Houser. Uh He's 30 years old. East Division All-Star in 2022 as a member of the Ticats. 62 career regular season games in the CFL. In four seasons with Hamilton, he accumulated 112 defensive tackles 10 of those tackles for a loss, 5 special teams tackles, 21 sacks, 3 knockdowns, 1 forced fumble, and 2 interceptions. So the Stampeders getting some much-needed experience back on their defensive line and now could potentially roll out you know, something along the lines with James Vauders at one end, Julian Hauser on the other, you're talking about Mike Rose in the middle, that's going to be a, a force to be reckoned with, so the Stampeders who don't generally spend big money on opening day or period in the CFL's uh, free agency uh, list. They go out and make a big signing today, and that's uh, a really big one. I like that one a lot for the Calgary Stampeders, bringing a guy like Julian House there because it doesn't look like Sean Lemmon's coming back. You're missing Jameer Thurman. Javian Elliott, the defensive back, has signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats as well. So you're talking about some major veteran pieces of that defense that have found new homes, well, the Stamps going, uh bring a guy with plenty of experience, plenty of pass rush experience as well uh, to bolster their defensive side of things. A couple other key free agents that have found homes today that I wanted to uh, pass your way. Uh, Cody Fajardo has officially signed with the Montreal Alouettes. They're going to swap quarterbacks, Rough Riders and Alouettes. Trevor Harris is in Saskatchewan. He will be their quarterback heading into the 2023 season. Cody Fajardo, of course, now in Montreal. So that situation becomes uh, a little clearer. The Ticats continue to load up on talent. They look to uh, host the Grey Cup and clearly want to uh, be there. Tim Hortons Field, Duke Williams, the former Rough Rider, signs in Hamilton. You've got Shaq Evans, another former Rough Rider. He is signing in the nation's capital with the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, riders also make the Jake Wenicky uh, signing from Montreal official today. So there's been a ton, a ton of massive moves in the CFL uh, free agency period. Uh, Gino Lewis replacing Kenny Lawler in Edmonton. He is uh, off to uh, the Elks and joins Chris Jones crew there. So a major weapon uh, in Edmonton as another major piece leaves Montreal. Micah Johnson back in Saskatchewan Spent the last couple years with the Hamilton Tiger cats. He is now, back in the uh, green and white and still some big names out there Darnell Sankey has not signed yet uh, could a reunion in Calgary be in the works after they lose Jameer Thurman I'm not sure but there's certainly uh, been a fair share of massive moves on day 1 of CFL free agency we'll break down more of that tomorrow but we got to get out of here that's it for SportsNet today all of our guests uh, thank you to Peter Lombardius. thank you to Arden Swelling thank you to Big Nazar The podcast uh, will be up shortly wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Amazon, Spotify, your favorite pod catchers. We'll be back tomorrow right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.